Welcome back. Here we are with our sponsors. I want to send a big thank you to Dell, the Render Network, Tool Farm, NVIDIA, and of course, Maxon for sponsoring the DAT Tour. To my right, a longtime pillar of the community and founder of MoGraph, Dave Koss. Let's give a big round of applause for Dave Koss, everyone. All right. We're going to get started with the show. Um, Matt is uh, is not here this week. We've been trading off a little bit, so uh, Matthias is going to be my co-host today. So going to go ahead and start the MoGraph podcast. What's up and welcome to another MoGraph MoCast. I'm Dave. And I'm Matt Thias. Matt Thias. <laughs> and this is Dad. And we have a great panel, and uh, I've just met some of y'all. I'm, I'm reading your backgrounds and your bios and doing the research on ChatGPT uh, just to make sure I know something about you. Hopefully, ChatGPT didn't do me wrong. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and go down the line here and just have everybody introduce themselves and basically what they do, and we'll go from there. I'll keep it relatively quick. Hi, everybody. You guys already know me. Matthias, a.k.a. Major VFX with Maxon. Manage all the events and community outreach. So, um, yeah, come say hello. What up, what up? Name is Jonathan Wimbush, motion graphics artist based out of Southern California. Work in television, movies, immersive experiences. I'm trying, where's the other camera? I was trying to make sure. <laughs> Get those angles in. But yeah, just work in a lot of different mediums. So if it has a screen, I design and animate for it. Ooh, it's awesome. Careful with the soda. Is this one with oh, yeah. oh. Hi. <laughs> I'm Whitney Paulette. I'm a toy designer and character designer. Um, I work with Disney, Nickelodeon, and a bunch of other really cute studios. Um, if you're a kid at heart or you have a little girl at home, they've probably played with some of my toys. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. Hey, everybody. It's on. There we go. How you doing? Uh, Eric Cornish. I teach here motion design and graphic design in the School of Entertainment and Design Technology. That's a long name. Um, I uh, teacher extraordinaire. They call me the creative guy. And um, I've been teaching here for 16 years and I also train high school teachers in Adobe products across the country. Hi, everyone. My name is Ruth. Um, I also go by Ruth Tanfi. That's my street art name. Um, I am a local artist and visual artist based in Miami. Um, I'm an illustrator and mural artist and doing a whole bunch of wide rides of like multimedia. Um, I've done collaboration and illustration work for like Nike, Adidas, McDonald's, Liquid Death, Red Bull, couple other brands um but i am uh emerging rising artist here in miami so thank you for having me uh hi my name is stephanie hallett or shallot for short uh, local miami artist uh motion designer i used to work with uh, the miami heat team which some of them are here Woo! and um and now i'm working for dash studios up in north carolina but they have a remote team so i still get to stay home and i love animation <laughs> Hi, I'm Kristen Showquist. I'm a motion designer based out of Sarasota, Florida. I primarily work in After Effects and Cinema, doing things for companies such as NBC, A&E Networks, Hasbro, ESPN, you name it. 
Do I go on? Oh, let me this one. Hi, I'm Darlene Sanchez. I'm a 3D motion designer slash generalist. And by day, I'm the motion graphics creative manager for NHL team Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm part of the game entertainment crew. So that's anything from your normal 1920 by 1080 to all our LED ribbons, sometimes max 16 different boards, depending on the project. Hi, uh, my name's Alex Arenas. I'm a local 3D uh, generalist, uh, motion graphics artist here. Um, used to be with the Miami Heat for a few years. I see all of them are here. Uh, currently working for uh, our company. Uh, me and a couple of buddies started a company called Media Monsters. We have a studio north of here, uh, and we work with a variety of local um, local clients and we've worked with you know other sports teams like the flyers uh, the, the marlins uh formula one and, and other clients thanks hello uh my name is michael zabo i am a 3d motion artist uh, i work for a, remotely for a company in maryland called story farm um, i'm also a teacher here in miami i teach uh, 3d animation at new world school of the arts uh, it's downtown and sort of by the uh, other campus here um, for mdc uh, I lived in Miami now for like 11 years. I'm originally from West Palm Beach. I studied uh, communication at the University of Florida. Um, I don't know. Usually there's some alumni here with big school. But uh, I'm excited to be here and uh, share any um, thoughts and information with you guys. Yo, what's up, everybody? My name is David Bredore, also known as Brilly, King of Philly. I made up that tagline, but I think I'm, <laughs> when it was going around, I'm like, that's, that's good. So I'm going to stick with that. Um, I'm a professor at Ringling College of Art and Design, uh, also just digital artist. Uh, work for a bunch of different companies, brands, studios, but my main passion is like working with musicians as much as possible and kind of my own personal work. All right. Now, let me ask this question first. Who here has gotten a gig from either networking or some sort of meetup event? Okay, good, good. If you haven't, it's really important. Uh, so first of all, if you, if you haven't uh, seen on the ticket the after party, that's tonight at uh, Night Swim, make sure you come to that because not only are all of us going to be there, it's a great networking uh, and fun party opportunity. Um, there's also people coming. Art Basel is, is starting up, so there's some other people who are coming into town. They're going to be hanging out. So make sure you come to that. Um, hang out. It, it's amazing what happens at an event like that and how many relationships start like that. Um, and I'm also going to try and do... DJ stuff tonight too, so I apologize. If it, I apologize if it's terrible, um, but um, please come to that tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a really great venue. I've, I haven't been there, but I've seen some really amazing pictures. It's just going to be a, a great night out there. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, education and and career pathways. I know we have a lot of educators here, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of formal education versus like self-taught. Uh, I know that people come from both sides of that. And um, for the educators and other people who, who didn't come from that, I didn't come from that. I, do, I, I did go to college, but not specifically for motion graphics. I have a background in, in video. Um, I would like to hear um, everybody's opinion on um, what the importance is of that and why, or, why it may or may not be the thing for you. 
I know Brilly will take this one. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a weird thing because I am self-taught in 3D and animation, but now I'm a professor teaching 3D and animation, so I'm like, I can't be like, you don't need it because, you know, I talk myself out of a job. But I, I look at it and I'm like, when I went to college, motion design wasn't something I could find in a catalog, you know? And, and so, like, I had to kind of discover that passion on my own. Like, if that was there... I definitely would have wanted that choice. And I see the kind of students that are coming out of my department in motion design, and they're so much better than I was. And I'm, and I'm like, that's awesome. Like, you at a freshman and sophomore was like my skill level at a senior. And so, you know, if you, if you know about something, you're passionate about that, um, you know, the, the tools are there for you. Uh, but it can be a bit of a pay-to-play industry. I'm sure you've seen that. Where, you know, if I have a faster computer, faster, faster rendering, uh, access to all the software, that I can cut my time down in half that it takes you, I can, I can do more practice and get through stuff. And colleges will provide that and they will provide connections. So I'm a big proponent of, of seeking that out. I have had students, though, that come in and it's like, you don't need me. You're good to go, you know. But they, they do continue to get better. They make those connections. They, they, it is a good networking thing, too. So um, I'm, I am a big proponent of, of the education in it. Uh, but there's always things. You're always going to be a student. You're always going to be self-taught in something as well. So they, they do go hand in hand. So um, there's two kind of two sides to I want to kind of piggyback what you said. So... Um, when I was in school, the only access to like the animation industry that you had to get a certain type of computer and it was expensive and there wasn't a whole lot of tutorials online because the internet wasn't, you know, I'm old, but, <laughs> but now there's so much access, right? And, and people can get tutorials from, from anywhere, but um, you have to have a certain thing within you to stay learning on your own. Right. And so some people have it and some people don't. And so what school provides is that structure. And so if you if you're in a classroom and you have that structure, um, you can potentially go further and be able to get um, that extra help. Sometimes when we're by ourselves, we get stuck on that little thing, that switch, that one letter or whatever. And we can't go forward. And so what school provides structure and that help when you need it at that time. Yeah, and um, to add to that, so I've been teaching now for eight years um, with Cinema 4D, um, and the program keeps evolving, right? So the students that I had graduated years ago, right, the program has changed since then. There's times I open the files, and they're, they're different now. Like, they, they don't work kind of the same way. So your formal education may stop one day. And you're going to have to keep evolving and keep up with what's new. Um, the, the software gets updated uh, every year and new techniques get developed. Things go in and out of style. You've got to stay just at the curve or ahead of the curve. Uh, so definitely you can't just be like, oh, well, my degree's done. Like, that's all I need to know. You definitely got to keep going and use that informal education. Maybe the formal education like opens the door, but keep going with the informal education uh, yearly definitely a lifelong learner so i went to school for mechanical engineering so visual effects and motion graphics was like a self-taught thing that came through the years uh as a hobby so like you mentioned you have to be passionate in order to continue to keep learning and always want to keep learning 
I do wish that I would have gone to school just because if you go to school for this, you kind of acquire those fundamental principles that you get to learn throughout the years, like composition, lighting, all the things that are important to, to make something, a product look incredible. And uh, you get to, like you said, have access to a lot of the things that as a self-taught artist, you don't have access to the computers, the connections that you have at the beginning. Uh, these are things that come gradually as you learn. But if you can get a, a, a foot on the door and get started with that, I feel like e even though there's thousands of uh, tutorials out there that, you know, you can you can basically learn anything nowadays, having those core principles and, and the people around you to to learn from and help you out, I think goes a long way. Yeah, it's true. I think something that a lot of the self-taught people end up missing out on, too, is that ability to learn what it is that you need to search for to be self-taught. Like, if you already don't have a foundation in knowing the vernacular, knowing the terminology, just throwing in 3D animation into Google isn't going to get you very reliable results. You've got to have an idea of what you want to learn, what the principles are that you want to figure out. I'm fortunate enough to actually be a former student of Brilli's. And because of his ability to self-teach and learn the things on his own and turn it into formal education, I was able to get that foundation to continue my self-education afterwards. It's about having that healthy mix of foundation and connection to then grow off of. Can I ask, do you guys call him Brilli at school? No, we call him Brody. Okay. <laughs> or P-Dog or... Bromeister, or what, basically whatever he'll answer to. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny your students you call you Brilly, so I'm like... <laughs> but she was uh, Brilly happened after. Brilly didn't yeah. exist yet. The artist formerly known as. But I was going to say, um, on top of that, like, I went to university. Like, I got a bachelor's degree in motion and VFX, but I think for me, the most important thing was working at a studio amongst your peers because you learn a lot more when you're thrown into the fire and then being around other artists than I did when I was at four years of university. So I always tell people when they ask me for advice, I say, I know everybody wants to work remote and everybody wants to be self-taught, but I think just interacting with your peers and learning while on a job, that goes a very long way, especially in developing your own personal skill sets. Like you were saying, you can't just Google everything. Like if I'm having an issue, I might be able to turn around, look at you, say like, hey, do you know how to do X, Y, and Z? And you'd be like, oh yeah, I already got that figured out. So there's a lot of that peer-to-peer -peer interaction I think people are missing when they try to just do it independent on their own. I want to jump on, on that too. Um, I think what's nice about going to a college or an art school or a university is like you have all these options that you probably wouldn't even think about looking into. Like I was a digital media major, but I took a toy design class because they had a toy design class. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting, you know? But if I had to pay for that class online, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll do something else. Maybe I won't do it. I'll be able to stay really focused because I want to do that one thing. And I think that that also kind of hinders people, creative people, is when they see this one job and they focus so much on that one thing. And they don't branch out. They don't kind of keep an open mind about all the different facets of creativity. Um, so going to an art school, you have those options. And you don't feel like you have to be 
too precious with your time or your or your money because you're already signed up for four years. Like you know what I mean? You're you're there. Um, and then of course you start building these great relationships. And when you do go out into the real world, you you recommend them. They recommend you. So you get this great network. And of course you have the great foundation freshman year most of the time um, to give you that focus. Because I kind of came into school thinking I could just like be charismatic and get like A's. <laughs> it like didn't work. Um, so yeah, like you just learned so much getting thrown into school. And then again, when you get thrown into a real job, so it's, it's that. And then once you, you know, get a little bit older, you start taking online classes or teaching online classes and building out, um, discord channels, you know, for your students to, to you know, share with each other. Cause you also network sideways as well as upwards, you know, so there it's like, you're saying like, you never stop learning, you know, like as an artist, we're always creative. We're always trying to learn more and do it all ourselves. And, um, so it's definitely a combination forever. <laughs> yeah, one, one thing I want to add to that that I think, um, you know, both Brilli and Eric, you guys talked about, but I think everybody could agree, at least as artists, like without a deadline, it's really, really hard. And I think when you're in the self-taught, I, I guess how many people here have waited till the last minute to actually get something done? All right, and the rest of you are liars. Okay, great. So um, you, you, know, you know you did, right? You've procrastinated at some point in your, your life, right? That, that's one of the things as artists, like, cool, when does the client need it by? Oh, two weeks out? Awesome, I'll see them next Thursday. It's like that's, that's kind of our mentality as humans. This is just some, something that we're dealing with. So I, I really love the idea of the both because being, being curious as a creative and having that curiosity will kind of get you going and keep you moving, but having those deadlines will really up your game and having those you know client requirements or teacher requirements or what is the project actually, like don't give us a blank canvas that's infinite you know pixels by infinite pixels is having that box and those parameters I feel really ups your game and just me, me being self-taught and when it came to a creative with a background in economics, I really saw saw that when I would work on client projects that had a deadline, I started figuring out stuff that it was like, ooh, I saw this, but I didn't go deep into it. Now I need to learn it and execute it. So that's what I feel is, is the great thing about uh, still the classroom setting is, is having that. So like, I actually graduated college from at tw on 2021. And it's 2023 now, so I realize it's been two years. And fun fact, Mac, Mike was actually like my professor. He taught me Cinema 4D, and it was one of the best classes ever. So I had like an interesting school pivoting experience. Um, I guess it's just that you have to be really certain on what you want to learn because honestly, it does get overwhelming where it's like, if you're someone like me, there's like, as an artist, you want to learn so many things and you don't know where to start. And when I transferred to New World and like around my junior year, I was, I saw like, oh, Art and Tech has like a Cinema 4D class, bet I'm taking that class. And it was like so worth it because now like I graduated and things are like updating. It's like, yeah, at a point where like, you have to keep on continuing learning. You're forever going to be a student. But, like, just getting, like, the start of it is, like, so important because, like, I wanted to learn Cinema 4D from, like, artists that I've seen, like, online. I'm like, okay, let me find, see the software. Oh, I can't afford the software. Okay, that sucks. But then I go to school. It's like, oh, my gosh, we have access to this. Take advantage of it as much as you can. And, you know, once you kind of get that going for yourself, it's, like, amazing how much you can actually, like, develop as an artist and you actually have like so much time where it's like yeah 
you have deadlines and you're trying to learn, but once you're in the mix, everything kind of like works out. So as a student, like, yeah, school is important. I recommend it. The one, the one thing, Dave, the one you, you mentioned it earlier about networking. One thing that people don't realize about going to school is the people next to you are the people that are gonna, they're gonna help you or they're gonna be the ones that, you're in an interview while you're in school. When they get out, she's gonna be an art director. She's gonna work at the heat and he, she's gonna be doing murals all over the country, right? right? And so they're gonna say, I remember, I remember her. I wanna hire her. And so that's your network. And without that, if you're self-taught, your network is, is, is small. Yeah, I actually did that. Like um, when I was interning, I was working at Happy Madison and we were working on Mall Cop, the movie. And I knew like nobody, like I was still fresh. And they were like, we need more VFX artists. Do you know anybody? So the only people I knew were the homies back in Pittsburgh. And I hit them up. I was like, hey, do you guys want to work with Adam? They said, yeah. So I had like three people come out from Pittsburgh to L.A. And we all worked on the, the Mall Cop movie together. So me working with them at school, just, you know, that would allow me to be able to recommend them. And now they're all working in Hollywood still to this day. Hey, this is Dave. I just wanted to stop for a moment and thank our sponsor, Otoy, the creators of Render Network and, of course, Octane. But I don't have to tell you that. You know who they are. You see the results of their render engine all over the interwebs. And we're very grateful that they're supporting what we're doing at MoGraph.com, from this podcast to MoGraph TV to events like local meetups and Camp MoGraph and all our community building efforts. We can't wait to show you what's in store, all thanks to their support. Go check them out at Otoy.com. Now back to the madness. Bet. <laughs> See, I can keep up with the kids. No cap on God. All right. Uh, let's, uh, okay, without going too far into AI, which we can touch on some AI later, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about future trends and uh, not just technology, but, you know, maybe the art as well. VFX, 3D digital, whatever it is. Where do you see the industry going in the next few years? Um, whether that's like this year, five years, 10 years, 30 years. Um, you know, again, without going down the AI rabbit hole, I, I do find AI to be helpful. There are some things, maybe not necessarily even in, in AI art, that are helping me in some really great ways. Or if it is AI art, maybe helping... Uh, for creative inspiration or helping for some of those clients that maybe don't have that Pixar budget. And now we can do things that are a little cooler for them because it's a little bit easier to do. So I'm looking to, and, and again, not doesn't have to be AI. I know that's like probably the first thing that comes to mind, but um, what are some things you're looking forward to? Maybe something you've heard of, things that you think, where do you think the industry is going in the next 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years? Sure, I'll, I'll jump on this. Um, and I'm going to start with AI. No, it's just like, and, and I'm, I'm going to start there just because that's where all the executives' minds are at. You know, I, I think there's, there's so much that we can do from a grassroots level, but a lot of the businesses and business owners kind of drive a lot of what gets developed, you know? So the technology that's developed by some of the larger, largest corporations in the world, a lot of the attention is on AI to empower creativity and these other things, even though it comes with a lot of consequences that, you know, we're worried about definitely as artists and, and figuring that out. But the biggest problem that I, I see in that is just, and this is to quote myself, is 
people hate AI for the things that they love, and they love AI for the things that they hate. The tedious tasks that we hate doing, we want there to be an AI for it immediately. The creative tasks that we get paid for that we love, we don't want AI to ever touch it. Right, and that's just 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 the truth of, of what it is. So I think in the future, just seeing how the execs are playing this, we're going to see you know access to AI. This is this is me pie in the sky. This is not an official comment by Maxence. This is not this is not something we're like. To, so uh, cut the feed, cut the feed. Go. Um, I see that we'll be able to prompt our ideas and get movies. You know, we'll we'll be able to get movies. The thing that a lot of people don't understand is we're in year zero, folks. We, we just started to see the capabilities and it's pretty mind-blowing of what we can do. You can give you know, AI to a child and they're making like stories. They're, they're being able to create at different levels. So I think creative self-expression is going to be liberated at a whole nother level. Everyone's gonna be able to create at some level and you know, stories, videos, video games, all these things are gonna be automated. So um, you know, my, my big thing is that's gonna happen. You're going to be able to make feature movies of whatever you want, probably starting with a prompt. That's that's my prediction. And, uh, yeah. Um, just thinking about that, um, I see the future being physical. Like, I see a lot more toys. I, the toy industry is booming. And you can't generate physical product, like, with AI, you know? And... So with social media, you have all these personalities that you follow in real people. Not yet. We would do they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. Right. Um, who knows what tomorrow will hold? But um, yeah, I mean, like there are so many great personalities that you might follow on social media. You want to watch their journey. You want to hear their story being told. EJ and I were talking about this earlier. It's like when you want to create a toy, if you just put it out there, it's just in a sea of other toys. But if you talk about your process, your your story, what inspired it, and then here are my first steps what do you guys think next day? Here's how far I've come. What do you guys think? You know, and you just keep doing that and building it, you know, then you have something that people are really connected to and they don't feel like it's just AI generated. Like everyone else is doing not to shit on AI, but I'm just saying, um, it's, it feels real, you know, and it feels inspiring. So I, I definitely see the creative world going a little bit more offline, even though it'll be online, um, and, and turning a little bit more physical. I'm actually going to jump on what you were talking about because you're so right. Um, I feel like there actually is going to be like a branch of things being actually physical because you guys remember a few years ago with the NFT craze, which I was so hyped for for two seconds before the monkeys came out. And that really brought it down. But like, I think there are going to be more artists that really wants to like show process a little bit more just to like not only just stand out because with AI and stuff, I did have like a fear that like the create the creativity like will probably be a little bit oversaturated mm. and people might just get like overstimulated with what they're seeing but I think just like showing physical elements even if you're like a digital artist you're showing that hey you use these tools these are your software I have a tablet you know I'm making these things through that like people will feel more connected for and especially with like toys too I'm trying to make like figures happen like I'm wearing a necklace with like a 3D print like I made the, I sculpted this on an iPad and like I spray painted with chrome and now I make it like I use it as a necklace because I think it's cool I can't stop looking at it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I literally made this two days ago. But, like, <laughs> I just want to, like, try to have things, like, physical because, like, yeah, I make a lot of characters. I love illustrating, but I also want to bring things to life. I want to see things upscaled. I want to see things, like, in my eyes. I want things in my retinas. Like, that's how 
I think important it is for that to happen. And, you know, I'm glad that there will be like more liberating experience for more people to just be like, yeah, I want to, you know, have like creativity to make things. Like anybody can be creative, like anyone can do anything. But like if you know what you're talking about and, you know, you have a niche and there's like something that you actually want to show to the world, then, you know, I think those things are important too. Show your process, talk about it, connect with others, you know. Be different, but not that different. But yeah, that's it. Lemon bowl. Sure, why not? I think on a more technical side of it, something that I feel like is keeping motion graphics from taking any more future steps is data storage. Like we can only make things as low res as we can. There's only so much you can contain into a little gigabyte. And one of the main issues you're seeing with a lot of companies right now is there isn't enough storage. The cloud is not infinite. You know, Google is starting to pare down the accounts they have based off of activity. Uh, people are starting to transfer over to magnetic tape because it can hold more for less. It's becoming such an issue to store these massive files that we're all capable of creating digitally that are sometimes, you know, a terabyte large, which is insane. Um, but there's nowhere to put it. And if you keep it on your computer, you bog down your computer. It turns into such a vicious cycle with we can up and up and up and up our quality of production, but if we can't have it anywhere, what's the point? Keith. Um, well, I think AI is going to play a huge role in the future. Obviously, we see it now. I do think that it comes with trends. Every time a new tool comes out, you see it everywhere. Uh, what I am excited about is for certain AI tools to be incorporated into the tools that we currently use, where it makes our job a lot easier. Um, that is going to exponentially make our job easier, make us a lot more creative. And uh, with the increase in computing power, I mean, years ago, if you wanted to change a material, you had to wait minutes just to see one frame you know and now it's as easy as plugging it in and you get you know live preview of what you're doing that type of uh i feel like that type of exponential growth in the computing power that we're seeing with things like embergen and and all these other uh simulation tools that are th making things faster and faster is just going to spark a wave of creativity for us as the creators that use these tools and um i'm i'm Personally, I'm very excited for, for that to come, just to make things faster, easier, more accessible. So, yeah, I'm excited. Along that lines, too, I don't know if you've seen, like, what AI interpretations are doing right now. You know, imagine you have a viewport with just, like, you know, a character in a, in a random pose, not even a real character, just, just a skeleton. And you just move it around and do some stuff with it. Somebody did, somebody took the original Laura Croft you know, like that had like four polygons or whatever and ran it through AI and it's like, this is what it will look like. And imagine that you don't even need render engines anymore. Imagine if uh, something is going on with AI to where you're just kind of like setting up a scene and um, doing the voices and writing a script and doing all of this uh, super easy, real time. And then AI just figures out the rest of it for you. Um, something else that's not AI related would be... Uh, think about AR, for example. Right now, we've got mixed reality. A lot of it, like the, I know Apple's coming out with, with one too. But the the Quest headset now, with you can play Ghostbusters in your house, you know, chase ghosts around the house and things like that. 
Um, when that does get to the point where you don't, don't look like a crazy person wearing it walking down the street, uh, maybe they do contacts or something, just imagine how many people and how many jobs there are going to be to attach a, a logo or a texture or something to every piece of everything that exists in the real world so that when you walk down the street, you know, or, or, or take it to uh, even uh, entertainment, food, Imagine you go to a restaurant and they just have an empty box that you go sit in. And if you have your glasses or contacts or whatever on, everything in there turns into something magical. Somebody has that job. So there's things like that that I think are coming maybe in the next 50 years that um, I, I don't think we're going to have any problem with jobs in this industry. Something I found recently useful with AI, because I've been avoiding it, not gonna lie because I'm more on the lines of I like seeing the process behind everybody's work I love seeing that shit especially on my hands and then I like to do it myself but what I've recently learned in the past two months is how useful AI can be to speed up my own workflow like for me I'm always having to work with players so the Photoshop beta is so clutch when it comes to having a cut to cut a player out where I'm done in seconds versus like 10-15 minutes and then I can just swap out like their bodies or something if I'm doing something cool and fun. Like AI made my job easier um, just by being there. And it's a matter of just knowing which ones to use that are useful, like not just Photoshop. Like for one project, I ended up using two or three different AIs to then get my one project done, which was also finished using C4D and After Effects. It was like a whole thing, but it came out really dope and it was really cool. Players loved it and it made me happy. So that, when it comes to AI, that's what I look forward to. It's how is it going to make me faster, but not replace, like replace me, like replace what I'm doing. Like how can I make it, make something I'm making even better because I have that there. You know that thing that uh, probably all of y'all have done at one point in like After Effects 2D, like 2.5D, where you cut something out of a picture and then you like pull it out in the foreground and then you have to like paint the background back in where that thing yes. was. I do that to like... 10 football players for like a Super Bowl thing this week and all I did was select the football player by saying select subject boom cut it out now there's a hole there and I just circle it and Photoshop I don't even give it a prompt I just hit the button and it just fills in the background it's like oh yeah I know what you want that's cool can I ask can I touch on that on those two things so in my process of teaching Photoshop at some point I was teaching them maybe three weeks of like pen tool right now we have a button so the question for you guys is, does, do you continue to teach the process of the pen tool or do you say, now we have the button? Or do you spend maybe two, uh, maybe a week on the pen tool? What, what's your thoughts on, because now we're in the AI stage where we have a button and everyone's gonna learn the button, but not the process. So what's your opinion on that? I mean, you do both. Yeah, I think it's important to have that foundation there so you know. Because I don't think AI is perfect. It's not always going to perfect cut, perfectly cut it out. Like maybe there's a piece of clothing or a piece of logo that cut out. So then you're going to have to go in there and clean it up. And that's when you would utilize those tools. So I think it's important to learn both. I think right now <clears throat> it's important to learn both, but that's going to disappear real quick. <laughs> this is a perfect example. We're all photographers, right? At one point, you needed a dark room. You needed chemicals. You needed to know how to mix something. And people felt like the only way to be a photographer 
was to know that process. Do we really feel that way? Can someone still be a photographer and just have this? I think uh, right now, yeah, like there's still, it's not perfect. There's imperfections, but once that we get past that, I don't think we're going to care anymore. So uh, yeah, I think we're in that learning curve and that's going to pass. We're in the dot com era. Yeah. <laughs> you teach it until the pencil's removed. Yeah. <laughs> say it again. Uh, say what yeah. you say. I mean, if teach you teach it until it's removed. Right. right. Yeah. If, if you think about it, like yeah. the, the, Pen tools or like, like to say, like the lasso tool in Photoshop, like, well, that's like a pair of scissors, right? Like that's like the, the analog version, right? So like the idea of like AI kind of has already existed in terms of like, you know, the, just call it like the evolution of technology, like the, the lasso tool or magic wand or whatever you want to use uh, to, to cut something out, used to actually have to cut something out. So the idea, like it's, it's already evolved to, it's just like, what are you comfortable with or what, what? maybe what is next what how many more of these corners are we going to cut i mean you kind of just got to adapt with you know saving time uh being more efficient and whatnot it's not gonna really slow up but you know until like the programs are doing that my my concern right now is if you're doing like client work clients are like way too picky about things to do like ai generative stuff like they'll they'll key in on like minor details into things where it's just like oh his his mustache is too big or something like that it's like well they're you know you could type in the prompt or something again and you're gonna get something totally different like when you're actually making things in these programs uh whether it's 3d illustration things like that you definitely have more like creative freedom to do it right now I don't know if that like averages out over time and then there's a mustache button or whatever, uh, you know, yes. that mustache.ai or something that <laughs> takes over. But until, until we get to that point where it's like you can actually like edit in a program, you're doing multiple shots, multiple cameras, timeline adjustments in, in, in all the things that we actually do like quote unquote like manually, um, you still got to learn the, 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 the backbone and the skills. Otherwise, you know, uh, you're going to be waiting to, for you, you shouldn't wait for that. Right. You should just learn and, and, and learn the actual process to start. Yeah. So like, you know, just to jump in on again here. So like I think AI can for artists can replace tools. I don't think it can replace the principles of art, though. Right. Because we still have to be able to art direct. So, you know, if a client wants to change, we still need to know what makes an image beautiful. Right. And so, fine, let's remove the lasso tool. Let's remove the pen tool. AI can do that. can do it simple. But do you know how to actually make an image look good? Do you know how to and, and, you know, to piggyback actually off of what Alex said earlier, the importance of college, it's it's the fundamentals. It's that foundation, something that makes an image look beautiful. Do you know how to do that? And that's what we can't lose. And that's what still has to be taught. I, I saw this. um I don't know, this comedian who made a post recently and he was talking about the future of college and he was like talking about vibes 101. <laughs> like that's not, that's like literally what you're saying right now. And I think that's cool because you really just have to learn how to curate and like everyone's going to have their own aesthetic. And uh, after that, like it's just about executing it in the simplest, clearest way, you know, but vibes. You know how hard it is to teach taste? That was it so hard. really difficult. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> um, let's switch gears a little bit. I wanted to talk about uh, remote work versus uh, in-house. And, you know, we went through COVID and everybody went remote. And then some people went back pretty soon. Some people stayed remote. Um, 
I'm, I'm still hearing of some companies right now that are like, okay, now it's time to come back. It's like, you know, it's been like three years, right? It's kind of used to this. I'm used to not two, having two hours of commute time every day. Uh, who is remote? Wow. Okay. I guess you, I guess I am too. I don't, I work for myself, but still, uh, I went to, we, when we did that earlier in the year, we were in uh, Denver and I got in a little bit early. I had some work to do and I plugged in my laptop and I plugged in Parsec and I plugged it into the TV in the, in the, in the room and I had this giant monitor and I was just doing my work as if I were at home and I had all these graphics cards working thousands of miles away so the technology for it right now is pretty great um so i guess i'm looking for an opinion of of what everybody thinks about remote work and if it's working for you if you think there's any i think there's a lot of pros i think we know a lot of the pros but what are the cons as well go ahead no 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 No. i mean because i've been remote way before the pandemic the guys working for myself, but I would say the main thing I was missing was that peer-to-peer interaction and being able to riff off of other artists there. And so, especially for like junior artists, like they want to go remote just because we're all introverts at heart, right, as artists. And I would always say like, you're missing the fundamentals of working in a group environment. Like you can't always be solo. You might have to go into the studio. And I think that's where a lot of the magic happens as well. Like. Yeah, yeah, remote's cool, and you can go on YouTube, you can learn stuff, but I just think maybe, like, vibing out at 5 p.m., you know, after you've been with each other all day and just shooting the shit, and, you know, that's when the creative juices start going, and it's just, like, it's a whole nother vibe just being in a room full of artists and being able to crank something out rather than sitting remote at your house, isolated from the entire world, like, that's a pretty lonely life. I live it. So, you know, I know it, but, you know, I do miss that it, that peer-to-peer interaction with my, my peers and everything, which is why I do YouTube. Like, that's literally me crying out to the world. Like, <laughs> here I am. I'm teaching you guys my stuff. Interact with me and reciprocate it back. But, yeah, there's a lot of that there. That's also, awesome. you know what, I, what, what uh, the brainstorming session, like, get, get it started, right? Like, yeah. there's some things that you, you can kind of come up with just in body language that you can't do online you know uh in a zoom call you know like can't you can lock eyes but i don't know if that's that digital eyes work (laughs) but it's 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 true like when you're talking about something and and you you feel that interaction with being in the same room it's different yeah i think the thing with um remote work as well as in-person work is depending on how you're set up. I think artists collectively, we can definitely benefit for, from it when we're working as a team uh, collaboratively and also your experience level. You know, if you really have a process and everything, you should be able to sit down, you know, get your work done. Not every project is collaborative in, you know, college. You guys often have to just work solo to get the, get things done. And I think there is, you know, a time period. It's kind of like, okay, you're starting something new, figuring out how it works that's great to have collaboration, people with experience and stuff like that. But once you've actually developed that, then I think especially for those of us who've had commutes before and have spent, you know, hours and hours, you might lose a day commuting a week of your life. I think a lot of people don't understand that, or at least a lot of management doesn't care. 
you know so if you're going to be spending two hours of commute a day well five days later that's 10 hours of your life that you're not getting back that awoke hours that you could have been doing anything else in the world but being on a car a train or anything else and your quality of life can improve greatly now does that say get rid of it entirely no but being strategic with it so there's a lot of companies that want people in the office and they're just in the office but I think with us artists, it's like when we're in the office and we get a chance to collaborate, that's like a, a powerful thing that we're, we're brainstorming and things like that. But how many clients actually come into your physical presence on a regular basis? Like most of the work that we do is remotely. And if we can't navigate that space intelligently and we can't do that gracefully, then, you know, it's going to be the majority of our work because clients aren't don't are they're not going to say, you know what, let me just take three hours and drive to you. They're like, no, I, I need you to be able to deliver wherever you are in the world. And I think more employers need to look at it the same way they look at it. If somebody's going to cut you a check for a million-dollar deal, yeah, they might want to fly in, but they need to be able to trust that you can get it done remotely. But, Steph, you've been doing this. You've been working remotely. How's, how's that experience been? Um, so I was freelance for two years, obviously, remotely, and um, I realized I missed being on a team a lot. I missed learning from people. I felt like I still definitely had a lot to learn from other people and working with teams. So then I was like, all right, let me try to find a studio. And then I got really lucky. I got Dash, which is an amazing company. And they're remote. They were uh, obviously before the pandemic, they all work together in an office, but now they've turned to like remote hybrid, but they're very focused on it still feeling connected and still feeling like we could still have those brainstorm sessions um, every morning no matter what we hop on like a 15 minute call where we just talk about anything just to see faces and even though I went from freelance or I went to studio wanting to work with people again but I'm still remote I definitely still feel connected and I still feel like I'm collaborating with people um, we also try to do like little initiatives that make it more casual you know more opportunities to just have conversations with people like um, there's this thing called a donut that you get like randomly assigned with someone from the company every two weeks to have like a 20 minute call so if like you haven't worked on a project with someone you haven't you know gotten one-on-one -on -one time with someone you still get that opportunity so I think it's important to have that if you are working remote and if you're like running a company trying to figure out how are we still going to make sure everyone's feeling connected everyone knows each other everyone's still getting that experience of being part of a team and collaborating but um but i still do sometimes every once in a while i miss being able to like walk around the the office and see every look over everyone's screen um but i feel like i don't know maybe there'll be ways that we could create or have some platforms that could replicate that like I've seen some like live video chats where it's just people streaming and they're just working and you can't talk so it gets rid of the pressure of like oh do you have to talk to these strangers it's almost kind of like that chat roulette thing but like on mute and it's just people working and it's like lo-fi playing and it's like at least you have that like camaraderie I don't know we're, we're I've it's a different world, so there's going to be constantly like apps and stuff like that to help make the remote life even easier, more connected, and I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. That's something we do on the, the MoGraph Discord. Our Slack is, is really big for just like, you know, channels and things, but our Discord, everybody kind of pops in and does their thing and chatting and you know brainstorming or whatever it is but the nice part about it is if you're getting kind of annoyed you just turn it off i um 
so I've been remote since like March of 2020. Like I, I sw- even switched jobs and it's a remote job. Um, so I definitely understand the, um, like both sides, like the, the comfort and, and flexibility of like working at home. And then the idea of the office is, you know, the, the place where you get more interaction, more, um, you know, interpersonal kind of communication and stuff like that, that helps. Um, the one thing I will, from like my own experience that I would share, um, like getting started, I was in an office. I worked at Univision for 11 years um, and I got hired and I, I still don't speak Spanish and I worked in Spanish television, right? So the idea of me um, working there, I was a bit uncomfortable, right, to start. I got more comfortable as I went, but I'm literally doing content in like a language that I don't understand. People are speaking a language primarily that I don't understand. There is like a value in being like a bit uncomfortable in terms of um, getting a little bit more out of yourself. So like I did, I, I made like a leap once I started working there because I was a bit uncomfortable. So the idea of being comfortable because you're at remote work, it's nice to just like you don't have a commute and you can wear whatever you want and and you know uh, it, it it helps but there's also i can see a value in like i said being like having a little bit more like of an uphill climb and and you might get a little bit more out of your 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 experience at like a physical office nowadays okay just i don't know how relatable this is going to be but um my job is very specific uh, people come to me uh, to see if their animation is toyetic <laughs> um, or if like these toys are appealing, but I'm always at the very beginning of the process. And then after I work on it and the concept is solid, it's gone. And I just feel like I'm birthing all these babies and I'm never watching them grow up, you know? I only find out that they like made it if I see them on shelf or I see them on TV, Netflix, whatever. Now, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know? And I miss seeing it through. So being in-house or at least being on a team full-time, like, you know where it's at. Like, you know how it's progressing and you just love the process. And I don't, I don't get it anymore and I miss it. But I also don't like the politics of working in an office. It's like this weird trade-off, you know, but it's, it kind of just depends on you as a person and what you like, you know, but yeah. I get that. I, I rarely see the final product of some of the stuff that I work on. Yeah. My mom will be like, well, did you see it on TV? I'm like, no. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it personally, um, I think it depends on the on the industry that you're in. You know, like a lot of visual effects artists, we we work, I mean, like, like you were saying, we're introverts. So a lot of us are a lot more efficient when we're by ourselves and we're at home. And, you know, we have our setup and, you know, we crank stuff out Uh, in the creative side. When you're working with a a small team and you're trying to interchange ideas and interchange files and um, in our studio, for example, uh, it's it's always better to be like, hey, where's that video that you worked on? And he just hands me a hard drive, you know, that that type of um, interaction makes things flow a lot faster. but there are benefits to working at home when you have little kids, for example. You know, like I have a two-month-old, so I chose to be to be working remote now because I get to help my wife with certain things and stuff. So there are pros and cons, but I do think that it depends on the industry. So if you're trying to be in the film industry and working in, like, small studios, 
Um, I think it's very important to be as a core in a team just because it, it makes the work more efficient for, for everybody else. But uh, as VFX artists, you know, I, I think working remote is good. You know, one thing I'm just going to add to that real quick because I think that is that work-life balance and it really depends. Like if you have a strong creative team and you actually feel like a team, you're going to want to get together. Like the artists that I know here that I've worked with for years and everything else, yeah, I'll get on a call, but I cannot wait to see all these people. Like it's super exciting. You guys are in the room. You get to experience this live. Yeah, you can be tuning in to the podcast. Like it's all great. But, you know, some my favorite event of the year is, you know, Camp MoGraph where we actually get to hang out with other artists. We get to actually see people. We get, we get to have that. So once you have a, a team dynamic that actually feels like that, and I think that comes from the studio that you're working at if you're working at a studio or if you're at a company and I think that's the part that people miss at a certain companies there's large companies out there that really don't make you feel like you're part of a team but they want you to come in anyway and pretend like you do it's like but I don't feel like a really strong team dynamic it's just a hierarchy and it just doesn't really matter how about I just turn in the project and as long as it's good it's good because you guys don't really care but for when you're around people and it feels like a team, you're going to want to show up. And I think that's what everybody, okay, got some head nods. It's like, that's what it is. It's like when, it, when you can make it feel that way, then you got those right uh, vibes, 101, right? You get those vibes going. So that's awesome. Yeah, like I, I, th I think Matt has brought this up you know, on the tour before, but like working in like already been chewed. Um, doing contract stuff. Him and I have both done that. And it's just amazing the dynamic there. You know, it's just actually representing right here on my shirt. He, he sent me this. It's like, it's like super official. That's what all this stuff says, right? Um, the, the dynamic of the team there is incredible. Like, you go there and you're like, oh, man, like, this would be a great place to work. But some places aren't like that. Like you said, you know, some places are just like, can I just turn it in? Like, or else you're just going to be sitting in a cubicle anyway, right? Well, I think Already Been Chewed has a unique dynamic, too, because that's, like, once again, it comes from, like, management. And you, you mentioned, Steph, that you had, like, the donut time. So I know, like, ABC, they have people on Parsec from around the world, even though there's empty chairs. They'll, you could walk by a chair, and it might be empty, but you'll see somebody on screen, and there's a camera there, and they're working at the computer, and they're in Greece or where, wherever they are. Or, so you, you have that dynamic of some people that are in, some people are out, but it still feels like a team, and everybody has access to it. So I think, however you're setting up your life professionally you need to really start looking at if you're going to be part of a team does it actually feel like a team dynamic or is it better to just deliver an end product so you can enjoy the quality of life enjoy family time and not just burn up your life on a highway and you know destroying the environment you know like that's that's <laughs> you gotta you gotta find that balance so like i want to add something to that too because i'm actually in your boat too so funny enough, I actually have like a double life because by day I work at an agency called Golan and I'm their like senior designer. And I've been working there since like a little bit right before the pandemic. So I had like those days where I'm like going to commute to the office and I'm working with the team and the team is great. It's all cool. But, you know, I'm just turning in assignments, helping out, you know, getting the direction of things, you know, turned into clients. And then, you know, pandemic happens and we're all remote and I'm like, not going to lie, this is kind of a secret blessing because I'm just like making stuff for the client, doing things work. And then 530 happens and I'm clocking off. I'm like, yay, I can draw and I can work on my own stuff. Um, and then, you know, for working remotely and our office has kind of adopted like a hybrid. Now they're like saying like we meet every Wednesday now. 
I still don't have to go in because I am designer and sometimes there are just things like, Ruth, you don't got to come in. Like, we just need you for this and this. Like, we, I only mostly go in when it's like, hey, big clients are coming in. They want to meet us. They want to see us face to face. They want us for a big brainstorm. And that's like, all right, cool. I'm going to take that quick Uber. That's going to be on company money because I don't go there a lot. And it's like, you know, the face to face interaction is like, great. And, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, when things are taken away and you sort of miss that. But for me, I'm seeing is like, you know, from working remote, it's like on days where I'm meeting up with like my coworkers and my peers, it's like, oh, it's good to see you guys again. Like, yeah, we're making like really dope stuff. You know, I think it kind of like pushes me a little bit more where it's like, yeah, I appreciate like seeing everything and, you know, being on hands and learning so much like during the day. And then um, you know, after an hour, you kind of just fuck around and we're just like, okay, are we getting work done? But then, you know, once we go back to that remote position, it's like, you know, we do our, our call times. Like some things just really do like take a call. Like some of us just really need a meeting to like talk things through and, you know, you know, things are officially done. And, and even then my company was like during the pandemic, they gave us a survey like after like nine months of being inside that like, hey, we noticed that efficiency has gone up like dramatically because all of us are scared that like our Microsoft Teams is going to say we're not actually online. So all of us has just been like there. But like efficiency has gone up and everyone's like kind of like happy being, you know, by themselves. But also like we all are eager to like see each other again. And then I also live here. So when he talked about remote, like the, you know, driving down, it's like commuting is so terrible here. Like I live 20 minutes away on a good day on a, like it takes me about more than an hour. And like we have to be at the office by like 830 or something. And then they're just like, yeah, you know, maybe big cities like that. We're good. But honestly, it's like a blessing and a curse type of thing. So if you're like the type of person that enjoys like being remote and you're just like, you know, working corporate and you know that you're there just to make stuff um, and, you know, you're enjoying everything, then, yeah, things work out. But uh, I think it just depends on you. That commute is that could be it's just it's mind numbing. When, when I decided to go freelance and not work for a company anymore, one of the main things that really helped me hype it up in my own mind about like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to get clients and all that? Is I calculated the amount of time I drive. It was 40 hours a month. I'm like, that's a work week. So if I spend a work week trying to get clients, I will still have all the other time to work. Yeah, so we all agree traffic sucks. <laughs> Quick question. I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole, but um, being remote, I think we work more because we, we tend to, to set less boundaries at home and, and you, you just tend to not stop at five. But sometimes you go back at like eight or nine and you do more and you do a little bit more. Right. So that so you you are doing a little bit more for the company than you would at at the company. Right. So I guess the question for you is like. We're more efficient, I guess, with cranking things out, being remote. But is there something to be said about that that downtime that you when you do walk to the different cubicles mm -hmm. and you're wasting time? But is it really wasted time? Are you building those those relationships, things like that? So like on one side, we're not as efficient, but we're we're gaining some other type of personal skills. And then on the other side, we're more efficient but we're losing 
those interpersonal skills. You know, it's tough to stop. It's it's tough to tell myself to stop and go do something else. But you know, Julie works on a lot of the events and Camp MoGraph and everything else too, and so that's kind of nice. We'll just take a break and go sit on the back patio and chat, go back and forth. And my office is also the place where I hang out and experiment and play video games, you know, do like, you know, try and do like my own shorts and animations and things. It's hard to, it's just too mixed, I guess, for me. Um, But yeah, I can imagine if I was working for a studio, I would totally just like, ah, it's five o'clock, I'm done. Yeah, I would say, um, like you're saying, going cubicle to cubicle, like that stuff's important. Like somebody asked me before, like, how did I get the jobs that I got? And that was because I would go cubicle to cubicle. I'm making friends at the office. You know, X, Y, and Z goes to Hasbro. They hit me up. Now I have a job at Hasbro. So it's like those relationships that you're building in art inside the um, environment. You never know where it's going to take you, maybe like two, three years down the road. So I feel like that is important. And then... um yeah, I never left the studio at five. Like, literally being at, I mean, I always worked at bigger studios, you know, like Warner and Universal and stuff, and six o'clock hits, and you see the producer walking around with the food menu, that meant that you're staying late. So it's like, I don't think I've ever had a studio environment left, like, any earlier than, like, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Like, we was there all day. Like, there's been times I've never even seen the sun. You know, you're just at the studio, you go in, you leave, and it's already dark, so... Yeah. <laughs> I love this topic. Uh, I just, you reminded me. Um, when I worked in a studio, I was like the studio therapist. And like, I got so little work done because people would always be in my office, like c- complaining, lamenting, crying sometimes. And I wanted to be there for them. But I found myself like kind of sitting there listening for so long all the time instead of just focusing on my work. I felt bad, you know, like I wanted to do my work, but I wanted to help them, you know, and this happened a lot. And uh, I don't do that anymore because I work from home. So it's kind of interesting. I don't <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has been in that position, you know, but it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I like being working from home for that reason, even though I feel bad about it. Anyway. I would say say one of the things that's really big is intentionality with what you're doing. And I feel that the office space, while a lot of executives, you know, will talk about like, oh, get to the office, like team, you know, collaboration, working together, all these other things. There's hardly policies that are put into place to be intentional with exactly what you're doing together as a, as a team, where when you are independent, you know what your job has to be and how you're going to execute it and deliver. And I don't know any client or you know business person in the world that says, you know, if you can get it done in 10 minutes and still make 10% more profit than you did last year, why would you spend 40, you know, 40 plus hours if it's not going to do the same thing? Like, or if it's not going to be better, right? And I think that was the interesting thing over COVID. We found that a lot of companies, especially with what we do in the digital space, when you're delivering digital goods, you know, you're doing working with physical goods, you know, in, in that space. But for those of us who deliver a digital product, it's a file, you know, whatever it is, if it's great, it's great. It, it really doesn't matter. And I think that's the thing that we're looking at with AI and everything else. It's the client cares about the end result and often how does it affect, you know, the bottom line. And I think so many people are worried about, oh, you know, they're at home. Maybe they, you know, high five their kid twice instead of doing this thing. But more often than not, 
the companies that are complaining about that they're still doing great. Like, the, you know, people are doing extremely well. The company's being extremely profitable and things like that. So you have to be like, what is the intention? You, the intention of hiring people is that they would be able to use their skills to deliver an end product so you can make money as a company. Cool. Are they doing that? Cool. And most people should be able to relax into that. But then when you get together, be intentional. Like say, oh, I'm going to the office to go see people, to check in, to build those relationships, like you said, to, to meet the new people and things like that. And I feel that when you're kind of just like jammed into that, we go into a lull where it's just like, I'm um, just another day. I'm just going to grab the coffee, drink the water. And you're not as intentional. But when you're hungry for it and you're going back in and like, oh, I haven't seen anybody in these different departments. I need to talk to them for a little bit. It then gives you like an action plan. So just something depending on if you're hybrid or even if you're going in, try and be really intentional when you do these things instead of just kind of walking through it and lulling through it. Yeah. As I want to say off topic, based off of what you said, like, I'm all about multiple streams of revenue, right? And so you're talking about being an artist therapist. That could be your side hustle right there. <laughs> so it's like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe after hours, you know, charge a hundred bucks an hour. Be like, hey. I'll you my bill. Absolutely. I know a lot of artists need therapy, so <laughs> you're good. You can be remote. <laughs> Wanted to do um, one more topic before we go to um, some Q&A. Um, and I want to put these together. I'm probably the least qualified person to talk about this topic, but diversity, inclusion, and women in MoGraph, what is going better and what still needs improvement? <laughs> I'll talk to gladly. Uh, I mean, you're seeing one of the improvements at this panel right here. There are so many women at this panel, so much diversity in this panel. It is a great reflection of how the industry is going right now. We are finally getting steps where women are in positions of power. Women are in positions of leadership. Women of color are joining teams that typically wouldn't have those representations. And it's even showing in the media that's being created where more women's stories are being presented, more stories of color, more stories of diversity are being portrayed in the media and being exposed to people that typically wouldn't see it. And it's a beautiful thing. It's still got a very long way to go. It's not perfect yet, but we are finally getting steps taken in the right direction. And it's been great to live through that and be in the industry through that. My first job, I got talked down to because I was on a boy's brand instead of on a girl's brand. I almost ripped someone's heads off. But now I am in a very female-driven team doing when my, my three uh, bosses above me are all women. It's spectacular. And I am so proud to be a part of that and to see that growth happening. Sorry, didn't mean to shut up the entire panel. Please take it away it all. You covered it all. No, you actually got it because from especially in fine art, which is really crazy, because I remember just learning about the fact that not me just be being in school, but also seeing it and talking to other female artists, especially I have friends that in, are like, they went to like big art schools in New York. And it's crazy how many female artist classmates are there, like with the ratio between like their male and like the boy like artists, yet when they all graduate and then they're in like the industry and then like the art scene, it's like the ones that are in the museums and the galleries are like the dudes. They just disappear. They just like, I'm like, what happened? I'm like, 
I'm like, I graduate. I'm like, where are you guys? <laughs> What's going on? And it's like, you know, and I'm seeing that there's been like some improvement towards it too. Like there, like people that are out there seeking like, yeah, we're looking for like female artists. Like that's how like some gigs I got where it's like, oh, we not only saw your work, but then we found out you were a female artist. That's like 10 times better because it's like, there's not a lot of you guys. And I'm like, thank you. I have a lane. And it's just like, it's pretty cool that that's happening and still I want people like to have like good work to like get them into places but like it gets to a point where it's like are they there just because you know it's like some things are just working out for them but then sometimes it's just like sometimes they don't want a female in there and it's like kind of weird and it's like they don't want you there and especially when I learned that like um, I don't know if you guys watched Euphoria but when I found out that Sam Levison had pretty much had the whole art direction of Euphoria based on like a woman photographer like all like Zendaya having like the same lighting and everything that was like originally hers I'm like oh my god he's getting canceled I got a job everyone's gonna be everyone's gonna be looking for us now so I'm pretty optimistic with it but you know it's gonna take some time so I'm patient um so I've been lucky that I actually have seen the advantages of being a female in the industry for exactly what you just said. You know, some people are like, oh, we want more diversity and stuff like that. And I, I know that that's like one argument, which is like, oh, are you just hiring people for the purpose of diversity? Um, and I don't, I mean, I think out of all the industries, the creative industry is the one who's rooting for inclusion and diversity and women the most. So not every company is gonna be as far ahead as other ones, but I think out of all the industries, like ours is definitely making the most progress. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just talent, work, passion, and uh, we're all about that. And everyone's pretty much on the same page. Right? So we're, we're lucky that we are in the industry where people care to have these conversations and care to make these changes. So, and very to add to that, I think it's it's company based. I think all companies are a little different. I feel lucky where I'm at because I'm in sports. It's also male dominated. It's hockey, um, and I'm also also motion designer. And I feel lucky when I got hired, there was already two females on the same team. And unfortunately, as of today, the worst problem I ever had in my career was because of another female. It wasn't even because of a male. So at the end of the day, really what's matters is your talent and your attitude, and that will get you anywhere. Because at the end of the day, no one wants to work with an asshole. And it doesn't matter if you're a female or a male, right? Attitude matters in class. And just as long as it's good and your skill's there, then you'll be fine. Um, I've been on teams that are only men, and uh, you, you miss that. I, feel, I also feel like we were talking about vibes. Like you, you miss that vibe, you miss that energy. I think it's important to have inclusive inclusivity. Uh, currently, my studio, it's, it's four of us, and it's all four men. And we've made it a point to, to partner up with companies that are all f like female-led. Um, uh, also, my, my business partners are like single, so. Uh, they, uh, it's, just, it's just something that you need, you need that vibe. You need you need that inclusivity. You need that interconnectivity. Um, and uh, every single job that I've had has been led by a woman. And I'm I'm, I'm lucky enough to to have been for for example in Miami Heat. My boss was a woman. And uh, yeah, I think this is something super important to have. 
I think I think it's weird to think of um, women as like like the idea of diversity when it's like half the population, right? So like I don't know, they just like there's no reason why like it should be male dominated, right? So um, but most of my I, I feel like in recent years, like most of my class has been female. Like this year, it's like seventy five percent. So maybe it's it's going to take a little bit to be, and I think it, it matters to be like visible like this. So that, you know, you have that like um, sort of like a not a role model, but like, a, oh, uh, yeah, I can do that, like the representation and whatnot. So, yeah. I would say one of the things that um, is really important to me, once again, intentionality is a huge thing. And I think a lot of corporations um, just go for virtue signaling for those of us, you know, and for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, you know, virtual signaling, just going on what's on trend. And they actually, you know, a lot of places don't care. So it's like, all right, this is the flavor of the week. And therefore, yes, okay, we, we're women. Yeah, that's the topic. Let's get women in here. Okay, okay, now it's, you know, black people. And now it's like Latin. Like, so that's, it's kind of like, oh, it's Easter. We need to roll out the Easter campaign. Oh, now it's Santa Claus. It's, it, it becomes just a campaign for a lot of other places. So if you look at it, I mean, from the position that I hold, and I think everybody will attest to, everybody that I've ever met that I've brought to the stage that I could is because they were, one, an amazing artist. And it was like, ooh, you're an amazing artist. And I've seen your comments. You're actually inspiring other people. You do work. Oh, you're actually cool to talk to. You bring good energy. That's much more important than, okay, you're this gender or this color or whatever this is, that you also have those skills and that it's actually real, right? So many people just like, okay, you check a box, but next week, uh, well, there's a different flavor and I don't really care. I'm not going to call you where I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter if, if you're intentional with it, then you're actually looking at building systems to incorporate people in because of the diversity, that you see it as a true value and not something that's just the flavor of the week. So just just keep that in mind. And any corporations that are listening, like, please have it matter if you're going to do it. Don't just do it for a week. Don't just do it for a month or a season. Or if the, you know, look at why are you doing it? Why is it important to you? And build it into the culture. And that's what I've done. Like when I got here, I brought in, I think the first female presenter for Maxon when we were going online. And after that, Every time I did a show, it was the women, the people of color, any of the diversity just from the show before that they saw that encouraged the next person to stand up. So that's something that I strongly recommend is having coming to this platform. So thank you for everybody who said yes to this. First of all, everybody that you know got a text message, a phone call, an email, whatever it is, and said yes to this because you literally inspire so many more people just by showing up because then they believe that it's okay for it to be done. And where so many places, they're not even going to ask. And so, so it creates that. So just wanted to say thank you for it. I wanted to open up to some some questions. Um, If you do have a question, if you could come just speak into that microphone, uh, just so the people on the interwebs can hear. Um, And maybe just to to start it out, does anybody have any questions that are education related? I know, you know, we are at a college um, and, you know, uh, who who goes here? Okay, cool. so I think for students, what comes up a lot is our, our questions about breaking into the industry and um, and networking and things like that. I don't know. Does anybody have any questions before we even go to the segment? Maybe there's no questions. All right. Come on up. 
Um, I not I don't remember what your name was, but you graduated from New World, right? What was your name again? Ruth. Ruth. Okay. Um, from when you were talking, I kind of assumed that you also did a transfer program into New World, and I wanted to know like how your experience was with that, like um, financially and both like like network wise, networking wise, and yeah. So. That is a really crazy question to because I'm like not crazy for you, like crazy for me because I was doing a lot like with the transfer process because when I first started college, I went to Broward College up you know the state university. That's why I started. I was there for one year in the fine art program because they had a two year program and the second year was like you got to do painting, sculpture, all that. And I was like, I want to learn animation and I can't do it here. So then I transferred to MDC at Wolfson Campus because they had an animation program and I was also there for one year because the second year it's like hey um, everyone's doing like a group project where they're making a group animation and you know you got to pitch your idea and I did that and I won the pitch but then I realized I need my PFA like I need to graduate I gotta get out of here so then I transferred to New World and with the process of transferring um, I kind of just you know got my credits up together also they don't really tell you this in college too like make sure you visit to like you know all your counselors always visit four because three of them like to lie but always visit four you know when they tell you like things can't transfer they be lying they're capping like you can get things transferred but like um in going into newer you know i did the whole um audition process like i showed my portfolio where it's from what i remember it's like you have to show sketches you have to show observation drawings you have to show what your actual like passionate medium is i think it's like a couple of things that you really like to like paint or illustrate or draw things you're focused on and I think it's like some other stuff where it's like you know what are some things that you want to do like in your major so the transfer process wasn't you know too crazy because you know I think everyone has to audition regardless um, it happens in all art schools like even high schools you have to audition like dash like they have a pretty crazy auditioning with yeah. their high school program but like you really have to do your research on like you know what you want to do don't let don't let them tell you like what you what you can't do again these counselors like to lie like they told me when I was like found out about the anime animation program in MDC you know I was telling the counselors at Broward like hey I know I still have to get my associates associates is still important but you know I'm in the fine art program and my fine art classes are electives you know because I still got to do the reading math and you know calculus all the general education stuff um, and they were like saying like, well, you're, you're stuck here. Like you, I don't know if you can do dual enrollment. Again, they lied. I visit four counselors again. And the fourth one was like, oh, they have animation program at MDC. I had no idea. That is so cool. Yeah. You can take them as like extra electives and just, you know, it's a dual enrollment. You can do dual enrollment. Here's a form, sign it up with like, on, um, financial aid, make sure you add that there. And then you have like, you know, your well financial aid money and even if you got like a scholarship those things will transfer to you know those uh, electives and then you just have to go to Miami-Dade and let them know like hey I'm a dual enrollment student I go to Broward I'll get my associates there but I'm taking electives here and they're cool with each other that's what people don't know a lot of colleges are cool with each other so make sure you know to talk to people make sure you want you gotta make sure if it's not possible it's not possible yeah. but like I couldn't take no for an answer. I, for some reason, couldn't believe it, and I'm glad I kept pushing. Yeah. So that's pretty much my story of my college career. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. Um, could I ask one more question sure. about this? Okay. 
Um, I know there's two people from Ringling here right now, and Ringling was one of my top schools for transferring before. But um, even with all like the scholarship and grants that I have, I still don't really think it's that affordable for me. So I wanted to know like what avenues like you, for example, took to get through school without like completely going broke or just like moving everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I, I wish I had a better answer for this one. Um, unfortunately, yes, the financial side is the hardest part. It's the scholarships are few and far between. Um, you know, getting loans is not fun. <laughs> not fun at all. Um, the Honestly, the best advice I can give on that one is while, yes, it's expensive and, yes, it's, it, it makes your wallet hurt and your heart cry, uh, it's worth it in the end. Yeah. The, the kind of education that you get, the kind of connections that... I'm gonna just just gonna get on my Ringling soapbox here. <laughs> the kind of connections that you get through Ringling are spectacular. The people that you meet, the companies that are interested in just coming in and just see, seeing the Ringling name, it's wild. Like makes no sense whatsoever, but it works. Um, if you have the ability to do it, and if you can figure out your plan moving forward depending on the major that you are going into they give you every opportunity to find a good job coming out of it they give you every opportunity to make connections and to thrive um it's a good investment for what you want to do that being said that doesn't mean you can't get that elsewhere for a different price yeah um you know it kind of goes into the self-education talk we were talking about before where if you can get that foundation and build from there then you're good. Like, you'll find something. The difference with it being through a college like Ringling is the the environment just allows for it. It's like, it's like putting a plant into, like, fertilized good soil as opposed to a bag of soil you found at Walmart. You know, there's... Yeah. It's not that it's going to die for sure in that bag of soil in Walmart, but in the fertilized soil, it's got a real good chance. <laughs> Yeah, I hope that helps. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll jump into because uh, Kristen, you said it absolutely perfect, and and so I'll just like accent on what you said. Um, so it's also my alma mater. So I, I graduated from there as well. So I, I'm now a professor there. So uh, it's not just a biased opinion of like, hey, this you know my place. It's like no, like I went there as a student as well, and I had to pay for it myself. Uh, I didn't qualify for any financial aid because my parents made over X amount of money. So I graduated with over six figures. Um, of, uh, of debt, right? And so what I would say is if you find yourself in that position, you have to ask yourself if you have the passion and desire to really go for it. You know, I would work my full-time job and then I would literally come home and from about 8 to about 2 a.m., I would work uh, another job. And I did that. I, I would get burnt out after a few months, but like I, I paid it all off, you know? Uh, but, it, you know, if you have that drive, the best risk you could take is one yourself, you know? And so I was fine taking that risk. I didn't realize at the time when I signed up how much 
that was but you know what i'll tell you uh yep. i money means a lot to me and <laughs> i looked at my one of my loans just one of them right and I, it was over a 15 year period if it took me that 15 years to pay off in interest alone it would have been an additional seventy thousand dollars and to me yep. that was like i'm gonna stay up tonight and i'm gonna work on something else too yeah. and that's what i did you know and so there there can be give and take, you know, and you might not owe as much as I ended up owing, but if you're like, hey, that's fine. I, I, I want to invest in myself to go there. It's worth it if you have the drive. Yeah. Wait, I want to say one quick thing. I also worked through college. I had three jobs. I worked at uh, Dagwood's Pizza. I was a TA at the school. And then I worked at this other motion graphics studio called Big Bad Tomato. Um, and I just tried to make time anytime there was, you know, like a day off or, you know, weekend or whatever, I would take that job. And I ended up learning so much on those jobs, even at the pizza place. I learned like business skills, people skills, uh, motion graphics. I learned that. And then, you know, TA, it was like, it was fun. And I was at school and I was, you know, whatever, bad school still. Um, but yeah, like make the most of it. Yeah. You can do it. Mm-hmm. And then worry about that horrible student loan debt afterwards <laughs> yeah you'll be fine <laughs> but yeah that's why i'm here at community college right now just um kind of like establishing my fundamentals so then i can go into like a very specific like art school or program where i can like delve into those skills a little bit more but um events like this really help by the way like i'm really glad all of you guys are here talking to us like it's awesome but yeah thank you here who's next Sure, sure. Come on up and we'll, yeah. You should just talk into the microphone, too, just so we can get it. Okay. Hi, I'm Ava. So I also went to Wolfson. I just graduated last spring. Um, I'm doing the software engineering program here now. Um, so I was just talking with some of my buddies, got them to give me some questions because I'm terrible at asking questions. <laughs> so um, one question is, uh, how many studios would you say are starting to include Blender now in their workflow or just alternatives to like industry standards? Because over at Wolfson, um, we usually use like Maya, Adobe, those types of things. So how, how many companies are starting to go towards like alternatives to those specific things? That's a tough one. I don't know. <laughs> um, just from a personal standpoint, our studio only uses Cinema 4D, but there's been a few times that I've had to use Blender just because I've been working with other, um, just collaborating with other uh, artists that are just just Blender. So if they give you a big file, yeah, um, you, you want to be able to navigate through through all the software that you need. So I, I think it's important to know all of them, but um, not yeah. Um, yeah, I, really. I know of no studios that not use really. Blender, yeah. but here's the deal. When I graduated, I got into a studio, they were pissed that I wanted to use Cinema 4D. And it was like, you can only use Maya. And now Cinema 4D is the industry standard. So I'm like, I don't shit talk any software. It's like they're all tools and you never know. Things are going to come and go. Software comes and goes. And so, you know, Blender's an amazing tool. Cinema 4D is an amazing tool. They all have their pros and cons. But yeah, I mean, the one important thing is I think Blender's great for, for learning and getting into 3D and finding that passion. And then when you're ready to have a job, uh, it's like you got to use the software that they're using there. Yeah, I was going to say um, learning the fundamentals is more important than the software right. itself. Like when I was in school, I learned um, XSI, Soft Homage, which doesn't even exist anymore, um, 3D Max. And then when I moved to Hollywood, 
um, I had to learn cinema in order to work on feature film because that's what the studio was using. So I still knew the fundamentals of 3D, you know, like lighting and compositing and composition. And I was able to take those skill sets into another program, like kind of what I'm doing now with Unreal. Like my foundation of 3D allowed me to learn those and other programs as well. So I would say, um, yeah, it's good to be good at a certain program, but don't let that deter you or don't think like, oh, is Blender going to be used in studios or whatnot? Like, use whatever the studio is using. Okay. That's good. <laughs> um, I have another question. Um, so someone, I forgot who, someone mentioned that they do photography. And one of my buddies does photography. And he wanted to ask, what is, like, one of the best ways to make money in photography aside <laughs> from, like, selling your equipment? Who was that? Uh, I, I, I just used uh, photography as kind of a, a metaphor for, you know, <laughs> oh. tool replacement. Okay. But, I, you know, I don't know. We've got photographers here, right? So I was going to have some camera. I, mean, I started with camera work and camera equipment. And um, while that teaches you a lot about, you know, you get to learn what's aperture, what, what the aperture is, and like basically all, all the fundamentals of, of camera work and translating that into 3D work. Um, making money as a photographer, it, it, I think it comes down like any other industry. You need to market yourself really well, um, use social media to the best of your ability, and um, connections, connections, and just putting yourself out there as much as you can. You know, one thing that I'll uh, go with that is definitely social media is build your brand and show your skills. Like, it's not just about taking a picture, once again, process. So I would say to them, for them to do a corporate event, do weddings, like, that's one thing for photography. Also, how can you expand that? Are you doing videography or is it just stills? And being able to storytell. Everybody needs a story told. Every event would like to have an event photographer. Every wedding would like to have an event photographer. You know, so photography and editing is not going anywhere anytime soon. But if you don't network, you don't actually show up, like come to an event, meet the people who are producing the event, come to a venue, work with the venue. So the big thing is literally 50% of it is networking because everybody has a camera now. Like you said, everyone has a camera, but not everybody's going out there to meet people to say, hey, I'll use that camera for your event or for, for your um, wedding or anything else. An interesting area that a lot of photographers don't really think about uh, in their work as well is textures. Getting really nice, high-quality images of textures is a godsend. Like, as a 3D artist, if I can get a perfect image of the texture on this table, I will pay anything. It's something that you can start working on as like expanding on that library so that if if you don't like doing wedding photography if you are bored of the corporate scene doing little things like that even some stock photos where you can throw it on adobe stock or getty or uh, pond five whoever else is out there um and getting some general revenue that way to fund yourself and get your name out there to do other things those are great areas to look into and uh Pickle Nick, he's our video director. He's been on every show. Hi, hi, Nick. He's he's back there. He texted me. He's got a great point, which is wedding photography is very lucrative. Now, I have some friends that are great at it. They have their seasons of wedding photography, and they book up every weekend during that season, and they're good to go. And 
the only thing is like i've i've done my share of, of wedding video things back in the day you know shooting and editing wedding videos you got to have a stomach for it. You can only see the chicken dance so many times. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what a great area. You can make some good money. You can make some really great money at that. Yeah, I was about to add one of our own videographers on our team does sometimes will miss a game because he has a side gig as a, a wedding videographer. So it <laughs> makes more with that. You can make some money in the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and if... if the, that photographer you're talking about you know if if he's like i don't want to do weddings here's the thing my thing's always been like your day job doesn't have to also be your passion like it's close you know what i mean like maybe his favorite subject matter is not that but if it affords you the time now that you can go and take the photographs you like and that's really what you're putting up there on your social media those clients will start coming in too and it's a way for you to build up portfolio and improve your skills the same thing would apply to motion graphics as well. I think that um, a lot of people get tired of explainer videos, but if you're good at doing explainer videos and you can stomach it, there is a lot of work out there for you. Great. Uh, great. I only have one more question. I want sure. to take your time. All right. I know he's next. <laughs> um, uh, one of my other friends asked, um, how stable would you say art is as a career or an animator? Um, is it very nomadic? What are the hours like? You know, sit days. You know, can someone cover for you? That kind of thing. Like, what's the stress levels like? <laughs> are, you, are you looking specifically for, like, animator or, like, what, what kind of artist? Um, I think animator. They want animator, yeah. Okay. Because it, it does vary from yeah. branch to branch. Uh, Stability-wise, I have only once had a gap in my resume, and it was because of COVID. That was the only time I did not have some sort of job and income coming through. So stability, spectacular. Um, stress, there's a lot of makeup hiding the bags under my eyes. Um, especially starting out when you're first putting your foot through the door, first making the connections, first networking, there's a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of overtime, a lot of extra work. That doesn't mean it's bad, but it's not a walk in the park either. And finding your point of, okay, I've put enough into my work that now I can switch focus over to my mental health, my personal life. It takes time. It takes some time, but it is worth it in the end. And also networking is important. Like if you're a contractor, networking and having people, like you said, sick days, right? Like, what, what happens if I'm working on a really big project on my own as a contractor and all of a sudden I'm sick and I don't have anybody to pass it to? They have no idea what's in my files and everything else, you know? You got to have a network of people that you can trust, right? And people that know your workflow and you work well together and all that. Right now, Matt is back in Dallas probably watching this as he's helping me finish a project because I had to be here, you know? Um, at studios, it's a little different. I feel like it might actually be a little easier. You got the same software, you got the same people. Um, but it's about building that up so that you know who you can trust. So again, it comes back to networking. You know? I only take sick days when I'm feeling fine. <laughs> I work every other day. I like that. If I'm going to take a sick day, I'm going to have some fun, you know? <laughs> Try to think of yourself as like your own business, like in, in terms of your like what you bring to the table, like what kind of work you can do. So yeah, you're building up skills, you're doing networking. Um, yeah, like even if you work for another, like a, like an actual company, think of yourself as your own sort of like entity and, and you know, what 
what do I need to do to like improve my own business? Here's the thing. The animation industry has gotten so much better over the past 10, 15 years. I mean, you got to figure it used to be like it's still a very young industry. I, I think it was only like 10 years ago. The average business owner was 40 in the motion design community. And so you had a lot of people that didn't have families that were willing to like just work all night, all weekend. And then you felt awkward. I remember leaving the studio at seven and people were like, oh, it's an early day today. It's like, gosh, shut the you know, it's like, come on, give me a break. Uh, and so it's gotten better, though. People are building families. People are really realizing it's like, hey, there's a little bit more. Let's come in. You know, a studio's like already been chewed. Let's plug them again. You know, they're big proponents of your life outside of work as well. So, yeah, you get in, you work hard, but it's, they're very respectful of your time outside. And so I think we're seeing more and more studios like that. To me, it's not as big of a problem now as it used to be. I saw our there was a uh, uh, Barton does Monday meetings, right? And and I just happened to be there when he was doing one of his Monday meetings. And this is a great example of of what you're talking about. He had the whole team there, and they had a whole bunch of extra work coming in, right? And it was like I've, I don't know, like August, September, starting to get into that fall stuff that comes up. You know, all his work came in, and he went to them. And he said, "Hey, so these projects have come in." And we could go two ways with this. We could hire some extra contractors to come in and help us do this, or we could do extra work and you get a bonus for doing it, but it's your choice and you can go either way. If you need to be with your family, go be with your family. If you want to make the extra money, make the extra money. And that's so great. It wasn't like, all right, guys, I just needed you to take one for the team. I'm not paying you any extra. You're on salary, so you're just going to need to do it. Just because you love the company, right? You know? It's it's such a great mentality to have um, people who respect that, especially business owners like Barton, who they're in, they're on the box. You know, they know the software and everything else. They didn't come from you know some you know corporate place, and they're just like barking orders at people. You know. Uh, great. That's all the questions I have. Is there any way I can go like find you guys' work? I know you guys oh, yeah. are live. I know we're live streaming the event right now. Mm -hmm. If, if you want to find the work, if you go to uh, our, the website for the tour, which is gotodat.com, G-O-T-O-D-A-T.com, you can see everybody's uh, information there, um, you know, websites and, and everything like that. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> right, we're going to do one more, and then uh, we'll continue the conversation tonight, because I know every one of y'all are going to be at the after party, right? Do not miss it. It's be It's even better than this. The amount of networking. You're going to get a job somehow tonight. I'm telling you. <laughs> that sounds great, Dave. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sashia Dumont. I'm a writer, actor, and filmmaker. Hi, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director, DP, and filmmaker. We are the creators and hosts of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, an online source for all things indie film. We are a husband and wife film team and co-owners of Send3 Productions, and we started this podcast for filmmakers like ourselves who were producing on micro-budgets with Skeleton Crews. Go Gorilla is a weekly podcast that features various talents in TV, film, and web series productions. We've interviewed filmmaker powerhouses like Kestrin Pantera, Richard Raymond, Alex Ferrari, Cassandra Ebner, and Ryan Connolly. Amazing actors like Hannah Ward, Lou Taylor Pucci, Chris Wataski, and Eileen Gruba. Groundbreaking cinematographers like Jody Lee Lipes, and Jessica Lee Gagne, and many more. We also offer weekly reviews of our favorite films and shows, which vary from low-budget first-time filmmakers 
to A-listers and everyone in between. Go Gorilla is proud to announce that we have officially joined the MoGraph Podcast Network. So if you love filmmaking as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for a new episode of the Go Gorilla Filmcast. Your, your source, source for, for all things indie film. film. Now available on the MoGraph Podcast Network. So I uh, got a bit of a two-part question. The first one kind of rolls into the second. Um, for the unsung heroes of C4D, the ones that can't necessarily show their work, um, what's the best way of putting themselves out there? And part two, uh, personally, on my resume, um, if you take a look at it, you'll see that I haven't worked at any studios or whatnot, but I've been a C4D user for over 10 years. So I'm wondering if I were to go, you know, look for a position at a studio, um, would my reel sort of speak for my capabilities or would my resume factor, uh, history factor into that? I'm going to say real. I, real. I imagine real. everybody else would too, real. but real. Yeah. I would, uh, personal. Yeah. So spec work, um, spec work is, is very important. So if, if there's a specific job that you're trying to go for, um, grab a project and, and do the project as if you were actually doing the project as a, as a spec work. So it's, it's an example of what you can do and just put it out there as, as personal work, not necessarily as a client. But uh, we've done a few animations that landed uh, landed as like sports jobs just because one day we had a week free and we just decided to do like a soccer animation, you know, something like that. So I, I also think spec work is very important. It also allows you to showcase uh, your work when you're trying to do pitches to, to different companies and stuff. So. so when you mentioned that you can't show your work, what do you, what do you mean that you can't show it? Uh, I, I know what he's talking about. Well, <coughs> not necessarily NDA, but I haven't necessarily okay. asked for permission or you'd have to go to the client to ask. Cool. And they made the client. Yeah, but I get this all the time because we have so many presenters over the years and there are a lot of people on NDA. So one of the things that often people will do is replicate the techniques that you learned in that project, but then do it for your own brand. Okay. Right. So it's like, cool. I did this really good MoGraph transition where everything kind of tiled out. I really liked how it worked, you know, it's for a phone company or for a, you know, a concert or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, I can't really say that this was the big name phone or the, the concert, but you could replicate that technique and, use your own brand and you're fine. So showcasing your, your skills and how to put together looks and how to execute that is what people are most interested in. Okay. I would say too, cause I dig into that as well. Um, I do a lot of work with like history channel, discovery channel, and they're notorious for, you can't show this work for whatever reason. It's so, um, I usually go back to them if I'm working on a new reel and say like, well, is it okay if I show this work as a part of a montage inside a demo reel? And that way, it's not me just posting up that individual piece. It's part of a whole collective. And so it's not really being called out. And if you just explain it as like, okay, you guys hired me because you saw my work. And if I can't put my work out there, how am I going to be able to get more work? And most of the time, they'll respect that. And they'll at least let you put it inside your reel. So I would just have that conversation with them and say, like, I'm not going to put this on like Instagram, like post out just this. It's just going to be a part of my reel. And most places are cool with that. That's a struggle on the NDAs, you know, because yep. yeah. you can't. But but I was going to say exact same thing. Messiah said, like, if, if something happens or, or, you know, those cases where you start working on something and 
something gets canceled or someone changes the direction or whatever and you're like i really like this and now they made it suck <laughs> make something that is like totally similar why not like it's not the same but it's it's similar i was just going to add to that and i love what you're saying like find something that you're you love i don't know something nostalgic you know something that everybody else will go oh yeah maybe it, it exists and someone did it wrong a remake and you want to remake the remake but in your way and then post it on um, that's just an example it's maybe a bad one i'm just excited about personally but anyway put your thing out there maybe the spec work but put it on instagram and find all the people you want to like catch their attention at them follow them tag the thing that you know is what your, you know, the spec work, if it's for, I don't know, I'm just going to say Highlander, the movie Highlander. Hashtag Highlander. Find all the people that are working on the movie, at them, and then you'll start getting all these eyeballs on you. And you post things on your story, too, so you can see who saw it. I always see it as, like, Pokemon. I'm like, oh, I caught this one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and it's exciting. It's fun. And once they start following you and seeing the, the things that you're posting often, they're going to start caring about you and they're going to reach out to you you can reach out to them and they'll trust you you know you're building a rapport but social media is so powerful these days and like don't think about how many likes or how many followers because it's quality not quantity you know so the spec work but then also getting it seen is really important too i've worked and hired several people that had work that they couldn't share just make you real put it on private you know send it directly and i mean any any like person that's been doing major vfx and stuff like that they have to keep all that hidden and they share they share it and you just keep it private it's you know it's for you and it's for that that moment on the job I think I, I I think it was you I got in touch with me about two years ago, but I'll talk to you later about that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> foreshadow. Hopefully, you are nice. Yeah, like you can do. You can and do passwords. Protect I'm definitely just annoyed. Responded? Did I respond? Yeah, sweet. <laughs> I departed it, man. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to add. I've gone through the process of having to hire five designers in the past two years, and the two things I did first every single time was look at their reel and their social presence. I didn't even look at their resume first because it really is about the quality over like the experience. If you can prove you can do it, you can prove that you understand the concept behind what the job would entail, then that matters more than anything else. And then that is, if you get the interview, then like if you can mesh mel with the team and your attitude, that's another point on the, you know, check mark, check mark. Yeah. And... If you, I'm sure everybody has talked about this before. We've talked about it on the show before. But if you don't put this kind of stuff that you want to do on your reel, nobody's going to hire you to do it, right? Um, and then when it comes along the lines of spec work, I used to be very against spec work because I would do hiring and I would look at these reels. Really, everybody's done a Coca-Cola logo? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but... What I have been doing lately, which has actually worked for me, is I have a new tradition. I talked about this on the show last week, but um, that was only a couple days ago. Um, there, there are companies that I actually really like, and I'll realize that they don't have any sort of graphics or anything like that. In the last two years, I have gone to these companies that I really like and said, hey, what if, if I made something for you, would, would you like want it? 
And they're like, yeah. And so I'll do it because it's something I want to try a new technique or I want to put something that looks like this on my reel or whatever. Um, our friend Jags, he did this too. It's funny because he did a spec for gummies and I did a spec for mushrooms. <laughs> and we, we both put them out there and we put them online and they absolutely love them. The company that I did the thing for came back and said, we want to put money in the budget in 2024 so you can do more of this stuff, you know. Um, and, and another hack that I, I put in there as well is sometimes when I'm trying to make that kind of stuff for the work that I want to do, if I can get the type of people following me that I know need that kind of work, you know, you go on Instagram stories, you can see exactly who saw what you posted, yeah. right? So you don't even have to send it to them. Just like kind of like secretively like feed stuff out there, you know? Anybody else? We got to get going. We're overtime. It's time to party. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, I know we're going to see all of you tonight. Every one of you, right? I'm going to be there. Bring your friends. Um, if you are going to the after party, um, we did do the, uh, the tickets just to have the RSVP. You don't really have to check in or anything. You go to, it's at a hotel. You go upstairs. We're on the top. It's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be awesome. You're going to hear my terrible DJ skills. And um, thank you, everybody on the panel, for being here today. Uh, it was great. If you'd like to uh, check out more, we do this show every Monday um, uh, live. Next Monday, uh, we're just we're going to replay this because this is a Wednesday. It's kind of weird. We're going to do a um, holiday special with uh, Ariev and EJ the week after that. And then we're going to take a little break. And we're going to reformat our show a little bit 2024. So um, if you haven't heard of our show, uh, please check us out on the interwebs, uh, MoGraph.com. We also have MoGraph.com slash TV, and you can watch uh, animation television 24-7 every day. So you'll see a lot of these people around on that channel as well. But uh, I think that about wraps it up. Till next time, I'm Dave. And I'm Matthias. And y'all are all of you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is that. <laughs> have a good one. Thank you. MoGraph.com, an online resource for motion graphic artists. Start your week with the MoGraph podcast. Industry news, interviews with your favorite artists, and terrible humor. Watch live shows and interviews from MoGraph events like NAB, SIGGRAPH, HalfRes, and local meetups. <laughs> Our MoGraph talks feature live demos and motivation from artists all around the world. Sometimes you got to make stuff that you're not going to put on your reel, and I'm not here to judge. What if Rick and Morty show up for the countdown at midnight? That's where I peaked in life, in my career. We gotta stop this thing, Rick! It's gonna kill us all! 
Hear from the people that create your software, design your render engines, and artists that are changing the face of modern motion graphics. You get that render done. Yeah, you better frame frame what? MoGraph tutorials and online classes will teach you about Cinema 4D, After Effects, as well as other popular software and render engines. Throw in the HDR Studio, take the render settings, pick the HDR, put a reflection, and gorgeous. Branch into new software. Learn time-saving tips, techniques, workflows, and lessons that'll keep you up to date in the world of motion design. Oh, brother, those are some of my favorite elves. I love projects that scare me. When our art director comes to us and asks for something that I had never done before, man, it gets me pumped. Join the conversation in our live sessions. Check out our plugins or join the hundreds of daily active users in our Slack channel for technical help, advice, contests, or just to joke around. Real nice banana. Ah, that's so funny. All right. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Subscribe today and get the latest updates on our YouTube and other social media channels. Take all your dreams and just do it! We don't care how you get here, folks. Just get here. Subscribe to MoGraph.com.